Today's reading is James 2:14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in the middle of a series right now in which we've titled Transformed into His Image. And in this series, we've been looking at the type of life that the Spirit wants to produce in us as followers of Jesus. And we've been looking in Galatians chapter 5 which is commonly referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. And that these different qualities or these different characteristics are the things that the Spirit wants to cultivate in us. And it's by cultivating these things in us that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Because these are the qualities and characteristics that Jesus himself embodied. And it's certainly not an exhaustive list, but it is in a sense a paradigm that these are... These are things that we do need, and these are things that Jesus' life exhibited, and so therefore the Spirit wants to cultivate that in us as well. And this morning, we're going to be exploring the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness. Now, I recently finished a show titled Mr. Robot, and I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's extremely dark, so this isn't necessarily a recommendation, like go ahead and go watch it, Um, so you've been warned. But the the thing about this show that I find really interesting is it follows this character named Elliot. And he's a hacker. And what he wants to do is, is he's trying to take down big corporations or systems that he feels as if are oppressing people. And so what he tries to do is he tries to go into these different corporations, into different people's lives, and find the different weak spots in their operating systems so that he might implant some sort of a virus that would exploit that weakness. The thing that's interesting about this show 
is that it, com it completely runs on the fact that no one, or almost no one, 99% of the characters cannot be trusted. There is always something lurking under the surface of every single person. And what he has to do is find it. But there's this one character, and his name is Gideon, which I find fascinating because the world of Mr. Robot does look a lot like the book of Judges. But there's this character named Gideon, and he's like this one shining light. He's the character who can be trusted. He is the character who is faithful. <clears throat> Yet it is his faithfulness and his trustworthiness that is actually a weakness in the show. It is what can be exploited because it is so predictable. People know how to get to him because he is living this life of faithfulness and people know how he will act because he doesn't waver. And the thing about this, this show that I find really fascinating is I think it's actually hitting on something that we all experience in our culture and our society. And that is, there's this cynicism toward truth with regard to trust in people. That people can't really be trusted. There's a cynicism toward promise making and toward people who make promises. Yes, people say they're going to be a certain way, but eventually we'll see their true colors. I mean, we, we see this in politics. We see this in relationships. We're not strangers to this idea. And yet Galatians, as we come to this passage, that this faithfulness, this trustworthiness, is something that the Spirit wants to produce in our lives. That somehow the Spirit is want to, wanting to cultivate in us this ability to be trustworthy. To be people who are living faithfully toward one another and toward Jesus. And in a society and in a culture where there's this sense that people cannot be trusted, faithfulness can be a beacon of light to the world. And it is something that we are called to, something the Spirit is wanting to produce in our lives. But that begs the question, is faithfulness something we aspire to? Is faithfulness something we actually value and want to cultivate? Parents, when you think about your kids growing up, do you imagine, do you say to yourself or to your spouse, I really hope that our children, when they grow up, are people who are faithful? Is that even on our radar? I mean, when I was thinking about this sermon, when I was think, thinking and preparing, I'm like, wow, faithfulness, that word, it doesn't come to mind a lot in terms of something I'm wanting to actually cultivate in my life. But the fruit of the Spirit works in such a way that the Spirit is wanting to cultivate this in us, but we are to cooperate with the Spirit's work. We are, we are called to aspire to it and to live in such a way that the Spirit is able to produce within us a life of faithfulness. And so is faithfulness something we nurture? Well, this word in Galatians... The word for faithfulness is actually the Greek word pistis. 
which so many other places in the New Testament is actually rendered faith. But here it's rendered faithfulness, and that's common. And the reason is, is because this idea of faith is taking place within relationships. Relationships to God, relationship to one another. See, faith isn't this belief or this idea, but faith actually involves our whole way of being. And that's where the James 2 passage comes in. Show me, I will show you my faith by my works. That faith, to say that you have faith, is to live a certain way in relation to something. Like if you have faith in something or someone, then you live a specific way in relation to that. But often, I would suggest that faith and belief for us is something we just think we have. We just get it, and so therefore we have it. But it does little to actually change us or transform us. But faith, in the way that the Spirit wants to produce, us, produce it in our lives, becomes faithfulness in that we live faithfully before God and before one another. And it means living a certain way for the long haul. Eugene Peterson uses two helpful words, one to describe a life of faithfulness and one to describe its opposite. And he uses the words pilgrim and tourist, which I think are really helpful. And he says this, and I quote, It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture have made decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. The religious life is defined as the latest and the nudest. Nudest? <laughs> the newest. You just got to name it. When it happens, you got to say it. We'll try anything until something else comes along. To be a pilgrim is to be a people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that last Sentence, to be a pilgrim is to be a people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. See, to be a tourist is to jump in and out of something. It's to go somewhere when you feel like it. It's to leave when you feel like it. To be a tourist actually suggests that I am at the helm. That I am the one who is able to call the shots. I do something, go someplace when I feel like it. And as soon as it gets old, and as soon as it gets exhausting, as soon as I don't like it anymore, I'm just going to jump ship. But to be a pilgrim is to be going someplace towards someone, as Eugene Peterson says, going to God through Jesus Christ, for the long haul. And it requires faithfulness to stay on course toward Jesus. See, to be a pilgrim, to be someone whose life is marked by faithfulness, 
is to have something outside of yourself that you are moving toward, something else that is more significant than you and your feelings and your desires at any given moment. To be a pilgrim and to live a life of faithfulness, especially to God, is to live a life in relationship. It implies relationship. It implies relationship with history. See, faithfulness has a time element to it. You know when and if someone is faithful because you've been able to look at their life and see how they've lived it and said, yes, that person has been faithful. And that is why we are called to a life of faithfulness because God himself has shown that he is that way, that he has been in relationship to us faithfully over a long period of time. We are not called to faithfulness because it's in this, just because it's a good thing. We are called to be faithful because God himself has been faithful. I mean, if you read the story of Scripture, you see a God who time and time again, who has shown himself to be true. If you look at Psalm 136, there's this whole litany of actions that God has performed for the people of Israel. And God has been so faithful that after every sentence, they cannot help but say, for your steadfast love endures forever. God has been faithful over and over and over again. His steadfast love endures forever. And such faithfulness finds at its climax the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's answer to us of whether or not we can consider him faithful. God has given his very self to us, that he has not let his creation go, but he has broken into it in the person of Jesus to rescue it, to restore it, to heal it until all things are made new. God is faithful. And I imagine that there are some of you sitting out there right now who question whether or not that that's true, whether or not you can believe and trust in God's faithfulness. Perhaps you cry out or you find yourself in a season of crying out, where are you, God? Why are you absent? Why are you silent? And that's okay. The Psalms actually give us permission to do that, to cry out and to ask God, where are you? But what's equally true is that God has also been faithful in our lives. What's true is the silences of God, but what is equally true is the faithfulness of God that we can actually point to. But here's the question, do we mark God's faithfulness in our lives? For me, I find it really easy to cry out to God when I feel like he's not there. But am I as quick to acknowledge when he has shown up, to acknowledge when he has been faithful? Because such markers are necessary to live a pilgrim life that is going to be marked by hardship and exhaustion and at times wondering, where are you on this journey? And I think the epitome or the embodiment of faithfulness is the person of Jesus. I mean, if you look at Luke 22, before Jesus is crucified, and we all know this story that Jesus himself is praying And he's in such anguish 
Because it's becoming increasingly more clear that he is going to have to go to the cross. He is going to have to die. And so he prays, sweating drops of blood. And he asks his father to take this cup from him. And then we all know, or maybe we don't, but what he says after that is, but not my will. Your will be done. I mean, that's a remarkable prayer. If you consider for a moment that Jesus didn't necessarily know there was a guarantee of resurrection. Sometimes it's easy to think Jesus is praying that prayer and he's, oh, he's, he's not really in anguish because he's just thinking, I've got to make it for the next three days. And we'll be fine. It'll be good. But Jesus is in anguish because he's knowing he's going to the cross and he's going to die. And yet he says to his father, not my will, but your will be done. And the reason Jesus can pray such a prayer is because he knows who his father is. The reason Jesus can actually pray a prayer like that is because he's heard the stories of how God has been faithful to his people. He's seen God's faithfulness in his very life. It's been marked for him. He has marked it. So he knows the one to whom he is praying. And though the outcome may not be so certain, he knows the one who is calling him there can be trusted because that one has been faithful time and time again, over and over and over again. And that is the faithfulness, the type of faithfulness, the type of of pilgrim life that we are called to live. And so then a question is, how do we nurture a life of faithfulness? How might we cooperate with the Spirit to cultivate that type of life? Because being faithful doesn't just happen by accident. There are certain practices and certain intentions that a person who is faithful will do. I mean, if you think about marriage, you make a promise, you enter into a covenant... But there are certain things you do as a married couple that actually reinforces the promises that you make, that help you remain and be faithful to one another. It's not like you're just floating through the relationship. You actually do things, and you participate in the life of that relationship, and it reinforces the promises that you make in order to help you to cultivate faithfulness in that marriage or in a friendship Or with a child. And so how do we nurture a faithful life? Well, as I said, I think the pilgrim life takes intention and it takes practice. And I'd like to offer to you a few different postures. Now, I read a book in my study that I found really beautiful and compelling. And it's by the, he used to be the Archbishop of Canterbury. And his name is Rowan Williams. That's him. And he has the most remarkable eyebrows in all of theology. And I don't know if you can see, but they are a work of art. But Rowan Williams wrote a book called Being Christian. And he suggests that there are four things that the Christian and the Christian community have participated in since the beginning of the church that have helped 
them to remain faithful. And it's what they are what faithful people, followers of Jesus do. And he names baptism, Bible, prayer, and the Eucharist, which we call the, the bread and cup. He says these four things are four things that the Christian person has always done. And what they do is engender faithfulness. Now, there was some insecurity going into this part of like, okay, how do you, what do we do to nurture a faithful life? Because I'm like, this is so simple. This seems so obvious. And there's this sense in which, or there's this temptation of wanting to offer something new, something profound, something saying, you haven't heard this before, but look, this will help you. Five minutes to faithfulness. Ten steps to a faithful life. But really, like, these are things that Rowan Williams has suggested and that the church has passed down onto us, saying this is what engenders faithfulness in the life of a follower of Jesus. And now for our context, because what he really does is he doesn't just talk about baptism, Bible, prayer, and the Eucharist. What he does within those is he talks about four essential postures. And so I'd like to modify those a bit for us this morning in thinking about ways forward, thinking about some application of how to nurture a faithful life. And I'd like to suggest that what's involved is in trusting, listening, praying, and partaking. In trusting, listening, praying, and partaking. So to be faithful is to entrust oneself over to God. And Rowan Williams says that one of the primary markers of a Christian of what that looks like is the act of baptism. Because it's in the act of baptism that we are actually saying yes to God and no to a life without God. And he suggests that that living into our baptism isn't just something we do one time, but it's actually entrusting ourselves to God every day, all the time, over and over and over again. It's about all the thousand little yeses to God that we actually make on a daily basis. And then all of the things that we have to say no to in order to say yes to God. That nurturing a life of faithfulness begins with saying, God, my life is not mine, but it is yours. And then I entrust it over to him, trusting that he is the one who holds life. He is the one who actually has the vision of the good life. See, the thing that I think is so interesting about faithfulness and entrusting oneself to God is it has to do with the ordinary. It's not so spectacular. And I wonder if that's why faithfulness isn't necessarily talked about or we're not that interested in it, because it can often just be so boring. Because it's a relationship that we have over a long period of time. That entrusting oneself to God means entrusting oneself on a daily basis. When you're going to work, when you're interacting with a person. Entrusting oneself to God is is when God is calling you toward something and you don't want to do that. Or when you want to do something else and you know that actually blocks the Spirit's work of producing within us faithfulness. Entrusting is saying no to those things and yes to God. And in Galatians 5, verse 19, Paul suggests some things that we'll have to say no to. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That Paul is actually suggesting that in order to say yes to God, to have a life where the Spirit can produce these fruits, is to say no to this type of life. And to say no to this type of life is an act of entrusting oneself to God because often we believe that there are other things that will give us life and give our life meaning other than God. Now to be a faithful person and to nurture faithfulness to Jesus is to be one who listens. The Christian life is a listening life. And one of the ways that the church, capital C, has suggested that we listen to God is through Scripture. It's through reading Scripture. It's through knowing the story that we're a part of, asking the questions of how am I involved in this story. It's considering for a moment that perhaps the mundane act of of reading the Bible can actually have some sort of profound effect in help nurturing and engendering a life of faithfulness. But it's not just listening between me and God with a Bible in my hand. Because if you were to talk to the ancient church, and you, you, we would, they would actually see us and say, wow, you have access to so many Bibles, that's nuts. They didn't have access to that. How they encountered God and listened to God through Scripture was by hearing it, by knowing it and by actually listening to one another speak it. And so nurturing a faithful life is being one who listens to God through his story and allowing our imaginations to be taken up by God's story. Looking at the life of Jesus and having that be as our model, the vision of what it means to be human. Because if it's not Jesus, and if it's not the story of Scripture defining or shaping our imaginations, then it's something else. It's not just, you know, I think often it's like, well, I can entrust myself to God, I can listen to God, or I can just choose not to, and then I'm not really doing anything. But the thing is, if we're not being shaped by God, we're being shaped by something else, even if we don't realize it. And so cultivating a life of faithfulness is being one who listens to God through Scripture. Praying. A faithful Christian prays. And about prayer, Rowan Williams says this, Prayer is about fidelity, faithfulness, sticking to it. I may not quite know what is going on, and as prayer deepens in me, I'm less and less likely to know what is going on. I may be baffled, I may be depressed, and I may feel that absolutely nothing is happening. Fine. I'll just stay there, and if in doubt, say, Oh God, make speed to save me. Prayer is your promise and pledge to be there for God who is there for you. And that, essentially, is where prayer for the Christian begins and ends. Praying is an essential act in our relating to God. It is what pulls us out of ourselves. It is what reminds us that there is something and someone that we're journeying toward. Prayer is an act that allows us to actually be shaped by God, to love what he loves, 
and to desire what he desires. It is what moves us to justice. It is what helps us move into people's lives so that we might be God's presence, healing presence, restorative presence. And then finally, central to a life of faithfulness is the partaking of the bread and cup. And now every service, what we've been wanting to do is have an embodied response to God, to the Spirit, and how he might want to transform us and our lives into Christ's image. And we're going to go right into the bread and cup this morning. Because I do think it is fundamental, actually, to living a life of faithfulness. That it is something that we participate in, and it is something so profound that the Spirit of God can actually work through to transform our lives and our hearts. And often, I think, for me, it becomes something I just do every other Sunday. But the partaking of the bread and cup tells the true story of the world. And by that I mean it shows that God is a giver and we are receivers. It means that God is the one who gives life and that we are the ones who receive life. That faithfulness is not clenched fists. Faithfulness is not striving. Faithfulness is not saying, I know the path to life. Faithfulness is open hands saying, God, you are the one who gives life and I am the one who receives it. Partaking of the bread and cup tells the story of God's faithful welcome and that we are his guests. That when we come to the table, God is welcoming us. And he says, you are not strangers, you are my friends. When we come to the table, when we receive the bread and cup, we're being told by God that this is what matters. What I've said about you through Jesus is the final say on your life. All of the reasons that you or I might have that say we don't deserve to come forward, that we need to remain at a distance, God doesn't let that be true about us. As much as we might want to stay away from God and far back, God says, come here. I want you close. And that's where faithfulness begins. And so as we go into the bread and cup this morning, as you come by the table, as you receive the elements, consider for a moment that what you're holding in your hands is God's faithful yes to you. What you're holding in your hands is the life that God has promised to give you and has given you. What you're holding in your hands is God's welcome to you and that you are not a stranger You are his guest. You are his friend. So this table is open to all. You do not have to be a member of this church. You can simply come forward if you are a follower of Jesus. And if you wish not to participate 
And you can either come and pass by the table or you can stay where you are seated, whatever makes you feel most comfortable. And in a moment, you'll be released by rows. And you'll come forward and you'll receive the bread and the cup and I ask that you hold on to them because we'll partake together when everyone has the elements in their hands. And I'd like to suggest to you that in that moment when, we, when you are waiting to partake, that that is a moment when you can give thanks to God for who he has named you to be. That is a moment, that is a marker of God's faithfulness to you. Which might produce the possibility of faithfulness for us. I'd like for all of us to stand as we continue in song.